If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2, verse 28. And I'm going to be reading through 1 John chapter 3, verse 10. And this is a great passage of Scripture, especially as we entering into the Christmas season. And you'll see that as... As we study here this morning, 1 John chapter 2, verse 28, it's on page 863 of your church Bibles, and it's up on the screen as well. John writes, verse 28, and now, dear children, children, remember, John's in his 80s, so it's Grandpa John, right? Grandpa John's writing here, the Apostle John, and now, dear children, continue in him That's Jesus, so that when he, that's Jesus, appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. And and, and then it's like, It's like John kind of goes off on a little tangent here after the phrase, born of him. He just kind of breaks out into worship. Chapter 3, verse 1, how great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God. And what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Everyone who has this hope. And when the Bible uses the word hope, It's not a maybe kind of hope. The Bible doesn't know of a maybe kind of hope. The Bible talks about a gonna be kind of hope. Everyone who has this gonna be hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. That was his little tangent. Now he kind of gets back on his track from where he was in verse 29. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins, and in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. We should talk about that verse. We'll talk about that. Verse 7, dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. He who does what is right is righteous just as he is righteous. He who does what is sinful is of the devil because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in him. He cannot go on sinning because he has been born of God. We should talk about that verse too. And then John concludes, this is how we know who the children of God are 
and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not a child of God, nor is anyone who does not love his brother. 1 John 2, 28 to chapter 3, verse 10. This is God's word. Who do you think has most influenced the way we do Christmas in our culture? Think about that for just a minute. Now, think about it. Who do you think has... Now, I'm not talking about the, 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 the overdosing on you know, consumerism and credit that's so rampant in our culture. I'm talking about the fact that we get like Christmas Day off and that we celebrate with families and that we're generous to the poor and that, you know. Who do you think has influenced most that particular way of celebrating Christmas, huh? Charles Dickens. Oh, yes. Charles Dickens. Uh, uh, Charles Dickens lived in the 1800s, and uh, right about when his, you know, literary star was on the rise, um, it was around 1840, and uh, Queen Victoria uh, was uh, ruling in England, and it was the beginning of the Victorian period, and it, and did you know that in that era, at that time, Christmas was on the decline. In fact. Just the idea of celebrating Christmas just was almost, was almost gone. And uh, for several reasons, uh, some folks were really concerned that Christmas was just too tied to Roman pagan holidays and the, uh, and the, the winter festival of Yule that was remembered in Germany. And it was just a little, it was just a little too tied to those, those pagan practices uh, and in addition to that, the Industrial Revolution was coming on the scene, and so people were leaving the countryside and coming into the city, and, and what boss wants to have workers off on Christmas Day, et cetera, et cetera. And, and so this kind of thing was going on, and Christmas was, was really fading. But in 1843, Charles Dickens wrote a story that really, really transformed the way Christmas is done in our world today. And do you know what that story is? A Christmas carol. A Christmas carol. Yeah, yeah. A Christmas carol that literally changed the landscape of how Christmas is done. And you know it's the story, the main story is about um, Ebenezer Scrooge. Huh? And... I don't, I think, I mean, well, I know, I, I, I don't remember until this week actually reading the story of Christmas Carol. I've always seen it on television. How about you? More of you have probably seen it on television than maybe read it, you know? And, and uh, you know, it will, it will take you about as long to read the story as to watch it on television because it's not that long, you know? And, um, but it's the story, you know, of, Main character, Ebenezer Scrooge. Scrooge, ooh. I love how, I don't think the television captures 
how Dickens describes Ebenezer Scrooge. The word Scrooge itself was a once-used verb, which meant to squeeze. Listen to this. Oh, but he was a tight-fisted hand at the grindstone. Scrooge, uh, squeezing, wrenching, grasping, scraping, clutching, covetous old sinner, hard and sharp as flint, from which no steel had ever struck out generous fire. Scrooge was secret and self-contained and solitary as an oyster. They don't write like that in Oklahoma. (laughs) They don't. (laughs) But you know the story. He changed. This old Scrooge became the new Scrooge. Huh? Spoiler alert. He became as good a friend, as good a master, as good a man as the good old city knew or any other good old city, town, or borough in the good old world. And it was always said of him that he knew how to keep Christmas well. Old Scrooge, new Scrooge, Christmas Carol. What happened? What happened, huh? You know what? Supernatural intervention. That's what happened. So I'm thinking about Mr. Dickens, and I'm thinking about 1 John chapter 2 and 3, and I'm thinking about the message of Christmas, and what is the message of Christmas? What, how does this all tie together? I mean, how, how, John talks about being a child of God and being a child of the devil, and how, how does a child of God become, uh, how does a child of the devil become a child of God? And the answer is supernatural intervention, not by three ghosts, Christmas past, present, or future, but rather by the intervening of our three-in-one God, our triune God, sending the second person in the Trinity, the Son, to do for us what we can't do ourselves. And, And he has done something. He is doing something. He will do something. That's what we just read in these verses, and that's what I want to talk about this morning, because the message of Christmas is not, the the message of Christmas is, is not, well, let's spend more than we have just to keep the economy going. No, no. The message is, is that we can enjoy God. Why? Because of Christmas past, Christmas present, and Christmas future. And I want us to talk about that this morning. And here's why this matters. Look right up here. Here's why this matters. If a story written in 1843 can influence a culture leaping a lake, coming into this culture, if that can happen then, what might happen if we take this story, this history, We take that and put it into our lives and put it into effect, huh? Oh, my. Something supernatural will happen, you see. So that's why this matters. So let's talk about what God has done in the past and what he's doing in the present and what he's doing in the future so that we can enjoy him, the message of Christmas. Christmas past. Christmas past. Oh, that's in verses 5 and 8 of John 3, 1 John chapter 3. 
John says, but you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins and in him is no sin. And then look in verse eight again. John repeats himself. The reason the son of God appeared, he appeared. The message of Christmas past is that God appeared. He showed up in the flesh. God showed up with skin. And this is one of the things that the apostle John is refuting because at the end of the first century there was this False teaching that God, Jesus, didn't really showed up in the flesh. John says, I was there. I saw him. He, he begins the, the booklet of 1 John with that truth. I heard him. I saw him. I beheld him. I touched him. I was the first one to peer inside the empty tomb on Resurrection Sunday. Jesus is God in the flesh. He appeared. But notice that why he, he appeared, what? To do something. Notice that when God showed up, he didn't, he didn't just show up to yell at us for what we haven't been doing. And when he showed up, he didn't, he didn't show up to say, here's what I want you to do. And when he showed up, he didn't show up to even say, come on, let's do this together. He didn't say that, no. See, the message of Christmas past is not you do it or let's do it. It's I'll do it. I'll do it. See, Christianity is the only faith. All other faiths talk about how, all other, in all other kingdoms talk about how the people appear and show up and fight for the king. But Christianity talks about the king who showed up to fight for his people. He appeared. He appeared, and this leads us to what? To do what? That he might take away. That he might destroy, John says. Why did he show up? So that he could take, and that word take away literally means to take by force, to disarm, and to destroy. You see, the way John tells us about that Christmas, it's not a hallmark manger scene with unscented barnyard animals looking on that sweet little baby and everybody adoring silent night. No, no, that's not how John tells us about that Christmas. Huh. In 1 John, Christmas is not a church nursery manger. It's Normandy Beach. It's Saving Private Ryan, where Tom Hanks and the thousands of soldiers are in that Higgins boat, and they're landing on Normandy Beach, and the ramp goes down, and some of them make it out of the ramp and dodge the bullet. Some of them don't even make it alive outside of that Higgins boat, and they go up to storm the enemy. John says, John says that he came to disarm and to destroy, but in John's picture, in John's picture, it's not Tom Hanks and thousands of soldiers that pour out of that Higgins boat. In John's picture, the Higgins boat reaches shore, the ramp goes down, and one, count him, one God-man storms the shore, dodging the bullets to do what we cannot do to take by force and to destroy. That's what John's talking about here. It is a violent invasion 
where Jesus, the God-man, goes to enemy-occupied territory to do what we have not and cannot do ourselves. Destroy. Destroy what? Disarm what? Well, John tells us. The devil's work. What's that? Well, John tells us. The, the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The devil's sin is the devil's work. That's his, this is occupation. He fills out the 1040 form to send into the government. Occupation. Liar. Sinner. You can make an occupation out of that? Oh, yeah. Since the beginning. You can build an economy on that? Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> Easy. The devil's work. Sin. And the miracle of Christmas past is that Jesus destroyed the devil's work with the devil's work. See, John Piper put it this way, the death of Jesus Christ was murder. It was the most spectacular sin ever committed. The worst sin ever committed served to show the greatest glory of Christ. God did not just overcome evil at the cross. Jesus made evil serve the overcoming of evil. Jesus made evil commit suicide in doing its worst evil. Only Jesus could do that. Why? Because John says, in him is no sin. The poet wrote, more light than we can learn, more wealth than we can treasure, more love than we can earn, more peace than we can measure because one child is born. That's worth gathering and praising, don't you think? What God has done in the past, Christmas past. But you see, it doesn't end there, does it? No. Because John, John in these verses tells us of Christmas present. We, we read that in verse 1 of chapter 3. Christmas present is how, how great is the love the Father has lavished on us. I mean, he's... he's He's, he's lavished. It's just almost, it's just wasteful, lavishing, pouring. God's love has just been, been poured, sprayed. Oh, we're hosed with God's love, you know. I think about those expensive perfumes at the department store. You know, quarter of an ounce for $200, you know. And you, how are you going to put that on? You don't lavish that. You just... John doesn't say that, how great the love the Father has dabbed on us. No. No, no, there, there's, there's $200 for a quarter of an ounce of that. Or if you like me, you just go and get some old spice. It's $250 a quart, you know. <laughs> and you can just take a shower in that. That's lavishing. That's God's love. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And verse one concludes, and that is what we are now. Present tense, not will be, but now are. You see, the very essence of what it means to be a Christian is adoption, adoption. To be adopted means you belong to God. He is your father. And, and we all know that adoption is not an act of the child. It's an act of the parent. 
It's not a matter of striving and effort. The parent makes a legal transaction, and, and, and even initially, it's not a, a change of behavior. It's a change of status. It's a change of legal status. That's the change. Before, you were not a child of God. Now you are a child of God. Before, you did not have this responsibility. Now you have this responsibility. And when you become a child of God, you receive God's tremendous love. When you become adopted into God's family, it means that you are loved like the Son is loved. You are loved like Jesus is loved. It means that we are honored like Jesus is honored. Every one of us, no matter what. And so you see, John, John, when you receive Christ, John's not promising you a better life circumstance. He's promising you a better life, a far better life. He's, he's promising you a life of greatness. He's, promi he's promising you a life of nobility. He's promising you a life of humility. He's promising you a life that goes on forever. This is what we are, John says. Now, now John says, and here's where we get to the to the heartbeat of this passage, the big idea, the main point. John says, because Jesus has disarmed and destroyed the work of the devil, because you have been adopted by God into his family based on what Jesus, the son, the advocate, has done, since you are a child of God, now act like it. Act like it, live like it, love like it, serve like it. See, that's what, that's what John's saying. That's, 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 that's what's behind verse three. Everyone who has this hope, what hope? The hope, remember it's not a maybe hope, it's a gonna be, it is a, it is a sure, certain hope. We who have this hope, the hope of what? The hope of having been adopted by God, we belong to him. Everyone who has this hope purifies himself as he is pure, you see. Since, you, since God has called you his child, now live like it. And so this, this leads to the question that John wants all of us to ask, and it's simply this. Am I living in a way that agrees with the person God says I am? Am I? Am I thinking according to how God says I am? Am I speaking? God says I'm a child of God. Am I thinking like a child of God? Am I speaking like a child of God? Am I acting like a child of God? Am I doing marriage like a child of God? Am I parenting like a child of God? Huh? Verse 29 says, if you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. Biblical Christianity, Christianity is not, okay, if you act right enough, God will adopt you into his family. No, that's not Christianity. Christianity is this. Because God has adopted you into his family, you live righteously like a child of God, you see? See the difference between the two? And that kind of leads us to these difficult verses that I told you about, right? It's in verse 6 and verse 9. We need to talk about these because, because it's important. John says no one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. Verse nine, no one who is born of God will continue to sin. And then he says this, he cannot go on sinning because he has been born of God. I read that, I thought, <sighs> wait a minute. 
I mean, I've been a Christian since I've been 11 years old. I mean, I mean, since then, I've sinned at least a couple times. You know? Well, you know, what's up with that, huh? What's up with that? Well, well, let me, let me, let me talk about something that's serious first. John is pointing out the seriousness of sin. He's pointing out, you see, if the purpose of Jesus coming is to destroy the works of the devil, then when I sin, I am trying to undo that which Jesus came to do. See, To put it another way, whenever I sin, I'm the one up on those ramparts as Jesus is storming the beach. I'm trying to gun him down when I sin. Oh, yeah. And who would do that? Who would do that? Well, I, I've done that, you know. Well, and, and, and John, John is not, so, so, this, so it's serious, okay? It's serious, and we need to take sin seriously. But John is not trying to say that once you become a Christian, you're never going to sin again or struggle with sin. I mean, it why else, why would he have said what he said in 1 John chapter 2, verse 1? I write this to you so that you will not sin, but if anyone does sin, see? So he assumes that, yes, even Christians are going to occasionally sin, right? That's going to happen. It is. But, but notice verse 6 and verse 9 where John uses phrases like, cannot go on sinning or will continue to sin. Or keeps on sinning, verse 6. See what he's getting at? He's talking about continual, habitual, chronic, sin bent against God. That's what he's talking about there. He's talking about someone, you know, think about, he's talking about progressive. He's talking about the fact that when you become a Christian, there needs to be growth in your life. There needs to be progress in your life. So, Ask yourself, okay, it, you know, would, would, would my spouse, would my best friend, would my small group say that over the past five years or ten years, has there been progress in my life? Has there been spirit, is there more of the Spirit's fruit of love and joy and peace and patience? Is, I'm not talking about what happened last week. We have bad weeks. I'm talking about let's go back five years. Let's go back. Is there progress? He said, well, no, there's not any progress at all. Then you may not be a believer. And pay attention to that. John's talking about progress and growing and growth. Uh, more importantly is this question. How is it we are able to progress in our walk with God? And the answer is also in verse 9. No one who is born of God will continue to sin. Why? Look, because it says, because God's seed remains in him. Oh, that's a bold word there. It's a, it's a bold metaphor because literally in the Greek, it's the word sperma. God's sperma lives in him, you see. When you accept Christ, God's DNA, God's Holy Spirit, the divine 
power of Jesus Christ, the word of God begins to indwell in your life so that as you lose your appetite for the world and your appetite for Jesus grows more and more and more, it's not because of anything you've done. It's because God has planted that in your heart and in your life and you're becoming more and more like Jesus. And I see that in our church family. Oh, yeah. I see that and it just it causes me to to do what John did in 1 John 3, 1 through 3. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us. Last Wednesday, I was at Salt and Light for our Windsor, Windsor Road Wednesday and seeing my brothers and sisters in Christ from here at Windsor Road distributing food, praying with the clients there. I, I, just, I specifically remember seeing one brother from our church brought out the food to their car, his arms were both around the shoulders of a family praying with them. And, and you know what I'm seeing more and more too is not just adults, but entire families, mom and dad and children serving and being Jesus, loving, looking like him, living like him, serving like him. An entire generation of children from our church community are growing up saying, this is the norm. What's norm is us serving and then I go back to the office and I, I talk to Nash Props, our student ministry, uh, student life intern. I say, Nash, isn't it incredible? Last Sunday, the God through this church family gave $1,604 for the blood water mission. And Nash said, yeah. And I got a phone call from someone in the church family who said, I just think I just want to buy one of those wells. Here's another check for $3,000. And I'm going, praise God. Praise God. And what you need to understand that, that when God is growing us, remember, it's a seed. So that tells us it takes time. And you need to understand, too, that it, it, it may not always show in terms of just currency and, and, and money. It might show as the Holy Spirit living in you prompts you and nudges you. You need to make that phone call and have that difficult conversation with that person with whom you've had that conflict. Oh, Lord, I'd rather write a check. No. No. Not money this time. Money's not going to get you out of this one. Make the phone call. Send the email to me. And, and the, more, the more we follow Jesus' lead, the more and more we begin to look like him and act like him and live like him. And that's why, and, and all of this is God's doing, okay? It's God's doing. That's why verse 10 says, this is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not a child of God, okay? So children of God, you know, they because God's adopted them, because God's Holy Spirit's in them, because God loves them, because God has lavished upon them, and that they're just going to naturally want to be like Dad. They're going to do what's right, and they're going to love people. And it's all because of Jesus. What he did in the past, what he's doing in the present, and then, oh, let's talk here about this Christmas future. That's in verse 2, chapter 3, verse 2. You see that, dear friends, now we are children of God, 
and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Oh. What are we going to be like when Jesus comes and we're transformed? Well, John says, I don't know, but I don't know. I don't know. I just know we're going to be like him, see? We're going to be like him in the end. And here's the deal. People who know what they're going to be like in the end know what to be like now. And if you don't know what you're going to be like in the end, see, or if you adopt a worldview that says, well, you're going to be ashes in the end, then you, you don't have any idea what to be like now. But if you know what you're going to be like in the end, if you know that because of what Jesus has done in the past and what he's doing in the present one day, your body's going to be transformed. See, now you know how to live right now, you see. That's his point. I love the author who wrote uh, these words. Think of what's going to happen when Jesus comes. The new heavens and the new earth will have all human culture, language, literature, art, music, science, business, sport, technological achievement, actual and potential, all available to us. All of it with the poison of evil and sin sucked out of it forever. All of it glorifying God. All of it under his loving and approving smile. All of it for us to enjoy with God and indeed being enjoyed by God. John says this is what's going to happen. This is what's going to happen for the elect of God. Now, based on that truth, you live in the reality of that future certainty, okay? Because you're elect. 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 Uh, president elect. Let's talk about that for a minute. I don't care what your politics are. But I'm telling you, this has been, uh, this has been historic in our country. I mean, think about this for a minute. If the person who was elected president, if president elect Obama, had been born in certain parts of the United States when Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol was first published, he would have been a slave. But, but in this culture, these many years later, he's now been elected the president of the United States. And now he is president-elect, president-elect, elect. Now, how smart do you think it would have been if the day after the election and the results were tallied and it was certain sure, how smart would it have been for president-elect Obama to say, well, whew, I'm going on a two-and-a-half-month vacation. See you all January 20th. Not smart. Because, I mean, we're like, we're in a crisis now, right? And so, well, you know, what we're reading in the papers is president-elect doing all that he can do within his limitations to, you know, before January 20th. And, and you know, here's the deal, church family. You are a son of God, a daughter of God, a child of God, elect. Jesus has done this for you. This is no time for a two-and-a-half-month vacation because whatever crisis is going on 
in our country, there's even a worse crisis of people not knowing who Jesus is. And let me tell you, our January 20th is coming. It's going to happen one of these days. It's a certain, sure thing. Now, in view of that, we need to live. And, and, you know, as much as our flesh and blood will allow us to do, we need to be Jesus even within those limitations because January 20th is coming. And when it comes, here's the question. Will we be faithful? Will we be found faithful? Heavenly Father, thank you so much, Jesus, for what you've done for us in the past, for disarming and destroying the work of the devil. Thank you for what you're doing now, growing us by the power of your seed to be more and more like Jesus so that one day at your coming, There will be the inaugurations of the new heaven and the new earth. And we will get to have relationships and worship and work and serve without the poison of sin in our bodies. Oh, thank you for Christmas. Amen.